I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week from the same place. It is ESPN NHL broadcasters Ray Ferraro and Sean McDonough. And we have a pretty great roundtable discussion on the NHL. They will be calling the NHL All-Star Game on February 3rd at 3 p.m. on ABC. Along with Ray will be between the benches, Emily Kaplan and Kevin Weeks. We'll also do on-bench reporting, and we get into all sorts of conversation about what it's like to call an All-Star game, sort of the challenges for that, and, uh, you know, pretty sort of deep conversation about where hockey broadcasting stands right now in 2024. So Ray Ferraro and Sean McDonough coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, very excited to have... These two gentlemen on, if you're a sports media fan, you're you're well aware of them. I will give them an introduction just for the sake of introductions. Ray Ferraro is a longtime hockey analyst, uh, currently now working for ESPN's NHL coverage. But uh, those of us who live in Canada obviously know him from his work at TSN, uh, CTV. He's part of Sportsnet's uh, broadcast group on select regional Canucks games, a valued uh, longtime um, guest when it comes to many Canadian content outlets here in Canada. Uh, When I worked for the Bob McCowan show, there was nothing more challenging than when Ray Ferraro would have a 5 o'clock p.m. ET guest hosting on our competitors because the numbers always jumped, and that's a credit to Ray Ferraro. Uh, Sean McDonough who has been on this podcast before a couple of times, lead play-by-play announcer for the NHL on ESPN and ABC. He'll be calling the Stanley Cup final along with Ray. Uh, Lead commentator, of course, for ESPN's college football coverage. You've heard him do basketball. His resume includes World Series, NCAA Final Fours, Monday Night Football. Also, for those of you listening from Boston, he will be doing about 20 Red Sox games this year on the radio. Last bit of business here. The All-Star Game, which Ray and Sean will be part of, along with Steve Levy, Mark Messier, P.K. Subban, Emily Kaplan, Kevin Weeks, Saturday, February 3rd, 3 p.m. on ABC. So when you're listening to this, about a week from then, but uh, that'll be fun to watch. And with that, I'm pleased to be joined by Sean McDonough and Ray Ferraro. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you, Richard. Happy to be with you. Thank you, Richard. I'm exhausted from that introduction, but we forge on. Are we out of time? 
<laughs> We're done. Thank you, Sean and Ray. All right. So, Sean, let me start with you. I mean, again, you you have called so many sporting events, but like All-Star Games are kind of unique and different and interesting. So I don't know if challenge is the right word, but I will use it. What is the challenge of, of calling an All-Star Game? Well, last year, the challenge of both teams had the same uniform on, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I've just now gotten over that. Um, that was difficult. Ray was down between the benches, and when the officials came on the ice, they said to Ray, you know, how are we supposed to tell the difference between these <laughs> teams? So that was a problem that I could relate to. Um, you know, part of the challenge this year, but I think it's it's part of the fun, is that we really aren't going to know who's on which team until two nights before the game when they have the draft which is on ESPN2 in the shameless plug department at uh, 6 p.m. on uh, the Thursday night, so two nights before the game. So, you know, the they're player captains and they're going to pick their own team. So in terms of just putting together your spotting board and that sort of thing, you know, that'll have to wait until the day before the game. But, uh, you know, I think for Ray and I, we talk about this every year that we do, and this will be the third time, you know, it's, it's having the balance between the game itself, which really isn't that important. And, you know, to me, the benefit of what Ray does down there between the benches is, you know, what makes these guys all-stars? Why is this guy among the very best players in the world? You know, what is his skill set that sets him apart? So, you know, you want to tell their stories. You want to talk about what makes them great. You also want to cover the game. Ray, the thing, the, the thing I would think for you, and, and this is where maybe challenge is not the right word, but sort of opportunity, and again, this is just my sort of guess, is that because it's an all-star game and these guys are relaxed and they're having fun, it gives you, I think, maybe so much more opportunity to potentially get some insight because I think they really want to talk on the ice as opposed to, you know, the tension of a playoff game or the tension of a tough regular season game. Yeah, there there was zero tension in the game, right? Like the the guys are they're happy to be there uh, because they're all-stars. They're happy to be with the very best players and and as I look at it, you know, I, I'm looking at a game in the regular season or the playoffs far differently than than what's going to go on in front of me and and Sean and up in Toronto. I mean, it's a three on three game. Um, if you happen to talk over a goal, because Sean and I are in a discussion about something we think is interesting, nobody's really too worried about it because there's probably going to be eight other goals. But in a game like one of my cardinal mistakes be to talk over a goal and you do it sometimes and you feel like you've just crashed the car right and in the all-star game i i think you're like man like it's it's fun these guys like sean mentioned they've got great it's great skills that vary across player i'm i think i can get a little bit more about what they do and how they do it and if they want to talk about it they're certainly way more open to talk about it we'll have reporters on the bench and you know just they just walk up to a player and start talking to them and it's not like the players like hey i gotta focus on my next shift because they're not they're they're just having a you know having a an enjoyable time and i i think i played in one all-star game that's what i found about it was just to compare it to a regular game is is not possible it just it just isn't the same thing and it was really fun Ray, I want to stick with you, and then Sean, I want you to follow as well. Um, what do you think the viewer wants, Ray, from an All-Star game? Do you think they want a competitive, 
game, at least in the the whatever the final stretch is, or do you think they are happy with just showcasing crazy skills? Because the 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 interesting debate always for me is in the NBA, where fans seem to want like competitiveness at the end, and they don't want to watch like 170 to 166 where no defense is being played. How do you see it in hockey? Well, I I think similarly in that you know they don't want it to be just. Uh, you know, like a summer practice where guys are skating around and trying whatever they want to do. And you, it's pretty easy to tell when there's uh, a little bit of effort put forth. Um, you know, the league is, has put a dollar figure on, on the winners and that, you know, helps people, you know, maybe focus in a little bit more. Just you look, you're not going to see any physical play. You're not going to see uh, guys sliding and blocking shots because nobody wants to get hurt. But I, I think the fans want to see, as you mentioned, they want to see competition. There's no two sports um, less built for an all-star game than football and hockey because the collisions are so much part of the game. And how do you, how do you make it competitive uh, without that is, is always the challenge. And I, I think the fans want to see a little bit of that for sure. What about from your perspective, Sean? And you again, you come from a baseball background, which historically has been the one um, where where people really tune in. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes, you know, it's certainly in the past, very, very competitive. Yeah, I've done three of the four uh, major sports. No offense to the soccer fans or any other. You know, I know that's a major sport too. But uh, I've done the Major League Baseball All Star Game and the Pro Bowl. And to Ray's point, the Pro Bowl. You know, I'm glad they basically did away with the Pro Bowl, and now they have what they have because it's actually fun and nobody wanted to play in the pro bowl when it, you know, sort of resembled football. Um, so yeah, and, and understandably so, right. Who wants to go out and get hurt in an exhibition game? I do think the great thing and Ray and I are in New York as we're speaking, you know, getting ready for a game involving the New York Rangers. We visited with Peter Laviolette, their coach this morning, who's going to be one of the four coaches in the all-star game. And he talked about how he thought it was a great thing uh, when the league went to this three-on-three format because, you know, it does open up the ice and it does give the players room to put, you know, their skills on display with more ice, particularly the skating, but the other things that make them great players. So, you know, you see more scoring, you know, and, and we see it, in the, you know, in the three-on-three overtimes in the NHL and the regular season, there really isn't a lot of hitting even in games that mean something, you know, it's more skating and shooting and trying to establish a you know territorial play. So, you know, I do think this format, the three on three is really well suited to show off the skills of the players and, and make it fun and competitive. Sean, I want to stick with you here. Um, the, the NHL viewership is up this year across all uh, networks. Uh, ESPN, as we're taping, this is up 38% in total viewers. Shout out to Danny Chi preparing me from PR, all these <laughs> statistics that praise ESPN. But the, listen, the numbers are up. Up is up. And in today's universe, up being up is amazing. So the, the reality of the NHL when it comes to the states, when it comes to the U.S., is that it's a, it's a regional sport more than a national sport many times, and a very strong regional sport. But but at the end of the day, a national – I'm sorry, a regional sport, one can argue maybe there's only two regional sports left, NFL and college football. Maybe if you want to put the NBA there, fine. So I, I sort of set everything up like that, Sean, to ask you, as someone who has, has called the NFL and major college football games that draw you know much more viewership than this – 
do you find that you have to like do you find you have to advocate more for the NHL than some of the other sports that you've called and how do you approach it in terms of the idea of a national sport versus a very strong regional sport yeah it's a great question and the answer is yes to the advocate for it I remember when I was doing I think the baseball playoffs this past season for ESPN and we had a hockey promo you know the hockey season was just starting and I said while reading the promo you know if you if you haven't watched a lot of hockey if you're not a hockey fan watch you know give it a try because it really is Richard a much different game you know ESPN we have been out of the NHL for I think it was 17 years and and the game changed dramatically in those 17 years as you know you know the, the game got a lot faster the, the players are are faster they're bigger stronger I think more skilled no offense to Ray who you know scored mm-hmm. 408 goals as I'm reminded every time we come on camera which bothers me Richard you know I think in this format <laughs> we do, we've known each other a long time I can be I can be honest with you you know we have we do the on camera at the beginning and Ray's graphic comes on you know identifying him on the lower third and it says Ray Farrell 408 goals and I just it's mine just says Sean McDonough you know I, I need something yeah, I don't know if it's John it, Sean, took, me a, it sure. took me it took me a long time to figure out how to work the graphic machine <laughs> to get that thing done so Sean I will say this I mean be thankful you're at ESPN and not Turner because you could be working with Wayne Gretzky I mean it could be a there lot you work. go Oof. yeah I mean they, they'd never get all yeah. of his stats on the screen but <laughs> And, but you know the but it's it is it's a it's a, a better game than it was 20 years ago so you know I think you know I just and I think that's why the ratings are up I think the more people watch the more they get into it because it is you know scoring's been up in recent years and people like to see goals so you know it, I think the game has never been better I, I know that's kind of a marketing slogan but it really is true and you know I think that's the biggest reason that that the ratings up that and the fact that i've done very few games uh you know will it be i saw norby williamson at the college football uh, playoff championship game he said hey the ratings are up so when you go back to hockey don't mess it up so i'm just going to try to sleep sneak back in and not screw it up keep the keep the train on the tracks ray i want to ask you a question that's sort of tangential to that and that is as someone who's worked in both canada and the united states um how do you you know is it interesting to you because when you're doing Forget about the Canucks. When you've done national hockey work in Canada, essentially it's the sport of the country. Um, you know, it's it's by and large the, the most important sport here. Although, you know, basketball certainly made its strides when the Blue Jays are great. It's a national sport. But you know what I'm saying? Where in the States, you're, you're never doing the AFC conference championship. Do you know what I mean? You're not doing what Sean's done, college football playoffs. Like ultimately you're part of regional sports. So I wonder how you see it because you're in a unique situation where you work in two different countries and the sport is one way in one country and one way in a different country. Yes. For, I, I find I'll, um, I won't gloss over some, some things as I'm describing a play uh, in the U S that I might in Canada. I just think you have to explain it a little differently because there there are lots of new viewers. I'm sure some viewers that watch all the time are like, yeah, I know that, but I, I'm trying to break down the play or present the highlight in a way that um, covers a wider spectrum. And there, it's just a different way of looking at it, a different way of, um, of talking about it. Um, but the nuance to the play or to the game, uh, I think if I'm not providing that, 
I'm leaving a large chunk of, of what I can bring to a broadcast aside. Like, I, I still think you, I, I view it anyways. I, I think people are interested in it. They want to know why something is happening. Like I, a lot of times, like I'll, I, I watch a lot of football. And when, when I hear an analyst going to some discussion point about a cover two zone with this over the top and the, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> and, and, and to me, it's a challenge because I'd like to know. And mm-hmm. so I'm lucky enough. I know enough people I ask and somebody tells me, but I'm sure a lot of people don't. And so I, I try not to gloss over, not that hockey's as technical as football, but I try not to gloss over that stuff. Cause I think it's important for people to, if they want to watch it and they want to understand it, that's, I think it's important to do that. Richard, if I could just add, I don't think I answered your original question about the regional nature of it. It's a lot less regional than it used to be. You know, we, you know, Carolina, Ray and I have done a bunch of games the last few years in Carolina. You know, that is a hotbed of hockey. It's as lively a building as there is in the league. It's full every night. You know, we did the stadium series there last year. It was an unbelievable scene uh, that I think will be hard for you know others to duplicate. We did the Stanley Cup final in Tampa two years ago. You'd go for a walk around the neighborhood, you know, near the hotel we're staying. There's go bolts, flags flying at everybody's front lawn. Obviously, Vegas is the Stanley Cup champ. I don't think there's any more enthusiastic market for the NHL than Vegas is and has been for the, what is it now, seven years that they've been in the National Hockey League. So, you know, it's uh, it's still largely region. I mean, the hotbeds are still, we see it in the ratings when, you know, New York, Boston, blah, blah, blah are on. It tends to make an uptick on those numbers you mentioned, but it is, it is growing around the country, uh, both, you know, in terms of where the league has gone and also in, in the interest factor. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ray, I want to uh, uh, get your take on this. Um, and it may, I, may, I realize probably the, the real answer is everybody, but let me sort of preface this by when I was at Sports Illustrated, I was really fortunate enough a couple times to um, be in the front row of uh, at the U.S. Open Tennis where you could watch the players play essentially from court level. It was incredible. Same, essentially the same view that you get in terms of the the bench. We were lucky to have like one of the three seats every now and then with like the AP and somebody else. And you'd watch these players, whether it be like uh, Federer or Serena Williams or whoever, and you really from that angle get a sense of like these people are so much better than you could possibly realize even watching on television. Like their greatness is so apparent in front of you. So when you're at the bench uh, level – in the NHL, are there a couple of guys who just be, just really stand out beyond standing out that you can see from your vantage point that maybe doesn't even translate to me watching on TV? Well, I'm always amazed when at the at the professional level when somebody is better than everybody else. It's not like when your kids and the best players are better than other 12 year olds, right? Like somebody's just better. When I watch Connor McDavid play. He does things that other people just physically cannot do. I don't think 
there's been a more evolved hockey player than Connor McDavid. There, they, people, there are people that could maybe skate like him. There are people that could maybe shoot like, well, I know there are people that can shoot like him. There's maybe people that can pass like him, but to do it at the pace and speed that he does, he would be the one guy that stands out like, like just head and shoulders above everybody else. Here's something that happened that means nothing unless you saw it and you knew what you were looking for. Last time we're in New York, we're doing a game and we're in one of the hallways in Madison Square interviewing the coach for the Oilers. And so the camera's set up on one side of those little hallways and the coach is on the other. And the players are going between the camera and the coach to go warm up and do their soccer warm-up game. And all the guys kind of crouch down and they walk. McDavid came and he crouched down. He didn't stop running and he went right through. And then he popped up on the other side and kept going. And I looked around like, did anybody else see that? Like his athleticism was, it was astounding. And it was in a hallway. Now uh, you go around the league, like Nate McKinnon is in Kale McCarr in Colorado. They would be, they would just be exceptional people to watch. Uh, Nikita Kucherov in, um, in Tampa is, is one of the game's great passers. And one of my favorite guys to watch in the league always is David Pasternak. I just, I just love watching the flair and the style and the skill. And I mean, there's other great, you know, Matthew, Austin Matthews is up, is a very special player, but those would be my, the guys that I glom on to first. Yeah. I just remember being at the all-star game. I think it was last year. It might've been two years ago, talking to McKinnon about Connor McDavid and to race point, you know, <laughs> McKinnon said, He's in a league all his own. He said the rest of us who are here are among the very best players in the game, but he is so far better than everybody else that it's crazy. And he really is. I think the other thing, and Ray and I experienced it this morning that may at the, the skate that getting ready for this game that we're doing, that maybe people can't appreciate on TV is how big these guys are, especially the goalie. You know, Aiden Hill came walking by for Vegas this morning. And, you know, when you have a guy that big with all that equipment on skates, He's massive. You wonder how anybody scores. You know, we were talking about when we were kids and it was Eddie Jockerman and Jerry Cheevers, you know, diving around and, you know, they weren't any bigger than Ray and I are. And, you know, now these guys, you know, if you're not 6'3 and 225 pounds, you're you're probably not playing goal in the NHL. So I think that's one thing that maybe TV doesn't, uh, we don't do a good enough job of showing. It's just how big these guys are especially the goalies and you put them on skates and with the equipment on it, it's remarkable how big they are. That's a, that's a, that's an interesting point, Sean. Um, I want to stick with you. When I, when I talked to you a couple of years ago, um, you might've been one year into this or maybe not, maybe it was your first year, but you said something to me that I remembered and it, and I'll paraphrase it. But one of the things that you thought you had to do was to speed up your call because you had not done hockey for a long time and you had done other sports. And the one thing that you were really worried about, maybe worried is too strong, but the one thing you were thinking about was like, how do I get the pace of my call faster, 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 faster. Now that you're in a, now that you're in a couple years into it, do you feel that you've sort of reached whatever the pace that you need to, when it comes to calling this sport? Yes. And you know, in all honesty, um, and I don't mean to sound immodest, but you know, most of the my life that I've done this, I felt like I know what I'm doing and I'm decent at it. 
when we first got back into the hockey, I thought it would be easy because when we had hockey before and I had done hockey for a lot of my life, um, you know, it, you'll just pick right back up where you left off. Well, I didn't, you know, and, and a part of that is what we talked about. The pace of the game was so different. You know, back 17 years before, you could look down at your notes and try to get a little nugget that maybe you hadn't memorized. Well, now if you look down even for a split second, who knows where the puck's going to be, and it very well could be in the net. I mean, the puck can go from the red line into the net, from behind someone's own net to the other end of the ice in the blink of an eye into the net. Or you look down, you missed a penalty. Um, so you can't take your eyes off the ice at all. And so it's a long-winded answer to your question. But yes, I think I have now gotten used to the pace of today's hockey. And, and some of it at the beginning that first year, Richard, was – also, the lack of familiarity with the league. I mean, I've been following it as a fan, but, you know, when we did Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay that opening night, you know, I, you know, I'm learning on the fly. Now, this is three years in. We've had these teams over and over again. And so, you know, you know, you know, the names, the numbers, you know, the coaches, you know, the PR people, you know, where the booth is. You know, there's just much more of a comfort level. Uh, there's much more of a comfort level with Ray. Like we had never worked together before. There's a timing and a rhythm to it that's different in every sport and that, uh, you know, that we have adapted to. So I feel uh, much more comfortable than I did when we returned uh, three seasons ago. Well, Richard, just to, just to jump onto that is like the first time Sean and I worked together was when the puck hit the ice in Tampa that first night. Like we'd, we, I mean, we had a, I think Sean, didn't we have like one little studio thing where we went in there and kind of had a taped, period of games that we did. Yeah, we like, went to Bristol you know, and sat yeah. there for an hour or two calling games off a monitor, which obviously doesn't duplicate it. You know, so Sean's getting comfortable with it. I'm trying to get comfortable with ESPN. I'm trying to get comfortable with Sean. And there were times where, you know, we, at the start, we don't have a clue when, I don't have a clue when Sean's going to lay out. He doesn't know when I'm going to finish. And so that takes reps. And now I, I can almost, I mean, I know, I'm not beside Sean, but I, can, I just know when he's going to take a break. I know when he's going to lay out. I think he knows when I'm going to finish. And for the two of us, I would say it's night and day comfort level with each other doing a game now as, as opposed to before. It was like we were running downhill down the street and they kept putting new pictures in front of us and telling us to describe them while we're running. That's, that's what it felt like. And, and not to make excuses, right? But, um, you know, some of my adjustment too was, wow, these booths are really high and really far away from the ice. People would be surprised. You know, I tell my buddies who go to Boston Bruins games, you know, buy the worst seat in the last row of the balcony uh, as far from the ice as you can be. And then look behind you and further back from the ice. That's where we are. They're trying to follow this little puck around. So, you know, people think, just assume, oh, you guys must have premium seating and you're right there and it's all right there in front of you. You know, some of the time we're kind of making an educated guess where the puck is. And uh, that's not always a really a comfortable feeling. But, you know, I used to, that first year I walked out of a lot of games thinking, oh my gosh, I wasn't really very good. And I, you know, again, I don't mean to be a monster, but I usually at least leave events feeling like, that was okay. You know, it's like anything, anybody's job. Some days you're better than others, but you know, there's very few times I walk out like, wow, I really sucked. You know, there was a few times at the beginning of that first year of hockey. I'm like, wow, you know what? I, I just was 
slow and behind it. And I, you know, I have to do a better job of memorizing the numbers. You know, now I know the names and numbers of these teams, you know, but back then you're starting from scratch and you think you have, and then the game starts and you realize, no, I really don't have this. So, uh, you know, it's, it's night and day. And I'm really proud of what Ray and Emily and I are doing uh, together with our crew. And, you know, now I look forward to getting there instead of at the beginning, hoping I just survived and that they didn't replace me you know, with an eye toward the next game. Basketball uh, broadcasters, they have, they have the life. They're sitting on court side. Oh, oh it's yeah. Easiest. You know, I've, I've done 11 sports on national TV. That's basketball's the easiest. I mean, they're at court side. You know, there's only five guys on each team. They're right there in front. I mean, you can talk to them if you wanted to. You know, it's uh, where I am. You, you know, you might be talking to the guy who's replacing light bulbs at the top of the ceiling, but uh, that's about it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply couple more here. Ray, um, I know, again, it, we're doing this in the last week of January many times is like a foolish exercise. But with that said, who are the two or three best teams that you've seen so far and why? Well, I'm. we're in New York and we're doing Vegas. I'm going to say Vegas. Uh, we were talking about it on the way back from lunch and uh, Sean and I and Emily. And like Vegas is, you know, they're they're up near the top of the Western Conference, up near the top of the Pacific Division, and they have no players. They get six or seven guys on IR, including one of their top two defensemen, Shea Theodore, their top two centers, William Carlson and Jack Eichel. They just got their goalie back. I think Vegas is is a monster, and they're just kind of waiting there. Edmonton's won 15 in a row. I I picked them to go to the Western Conference Final uh, in the preseason, <laughs> and then when they got out and fired the coach, I was making sure nobody – had access to to my pick, but I, I think Edmonton's Edmonton, the three teams I would put at the very top of the West are, are Vegas, Edmonton and Colorado. And I'm going to put Vancouver right, but right there. I think those are the best in the West. Um, the East is wide open. I I'll tell you who I missed on is Boston. I, I thought there is no way they can have another great season with the deletions that they had Bergeron and Krejci and Taylor Hall you know, was traded. And I thought they got to settle back down yet. They're the best team in the league again. So Boston, Florida, uh, Carolina, those are my three in the East. I, I think if Carolina can find some consistency in goal, uh, because they've gone through it a bit this year there, I think they're, a, they're a beast to play. No, it's just interesting. The Rangers weren't in there. I agree with Ray about, um, about Boston, you know, I'm living there uh, half the year and being a lifelong follower of the Bruins. Bobby Orr is still the greatest hockey player of all time. No offense to Mr. 408 we're, we're on here with. But, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. oh, he was my guy too. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I grew up in the, you know, the era of the big bad Bruins and every kid on the block wanted to be Bobby Orr. And, uh, but I, I'm very surprised. Yeah. I, I thought they might fall down as, as much as, you know, being a borderline playoff team, especially with the improvement of some of the other teams in the East. And you know, when the season started, we were talking about teams like 
Buffalo and Detroit and one or two others who hadn't been in the playoffs uh, recently, you know, having a, a good chance. So obviously somebody has to be displaced. And I really thought the Bruins would be in a battle for one of the last playoff spots in the East. So, you know, to do what they've done is remarkable. I just think it, it's testimony to, you know, if you have excellent goaltending every night, uh, you know, in Boston, the, the big debate is, well, maybe they should trade Allmark or Swayman and, you know, get, a, get another goal scorer because some nights they struggle to score. But, you know, I, I wouldn't do it if I were them just because, you know, it's working. It worked last year, too. And, you know, if you give up two goals, you, you have an excellent chance to win. So to me, Boston's a really big surprise with how well they've played. Sure, I'm stick with you here. Um, and you're a good person to ask this because of the myriad of sports that you have done during your career. Um, what we're starting to see more and more of, obviously, is the intersection of sports gambling and media. Um, there are shows on ESPN, obviously, that are dedicated to gambling. There, um, you, ESPN as a company, as a uh, Disney as a parent, basically just signed its deal with Penn Entertainment. Do you think we are within two or three years where people like you and Ray will will give like the over under of a game or the odds of a game within the traditional commentary that you guys do? Do you do, having wow. talked to a lot of broadcasters about this? Um, if I asked them this question two or three years ago, they would have been they would have said we're ways away from this. They're, they're sort of this is not going to happen sort of during broadcast and the more in the last two or years or so, I have noticed that people are starting to say, yes, we think this is coming. Where do you stand on this? Well, it's a great question. I hadn't really thought about it, but, you know, based on the rate at which, you know, it has progressed, you know, the, the number of shows now that are, you know, not only on ESPN's airwaves, but uh, elsewhere that are dedicated to gambling, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I think some, you know, sometimes there are, you know, it used to be the old ha ha, right? The veiled reference to the Al Michaels. Oh, some people are interested in this drive at the end of the game where, you know, if the team kicked a field goal, they covered, or if they scored a touchdown, there was the over or whatever. So, you know, I, I've always been sort of aware of that on the periphery, but I, I don't know the answer to your question. But my guess would be at the rate at which this has advanced. The answer is probably yes, that the, there will be more blatant references to the line or the over under or whatever. I'm not really much into this stuff, so I'm probably uh, not edgy. You know, who's going to score the what do they call them? The prop bets or whatever. Who's going to score the first goal of the game? You you see that a lot already on local hockey broadcasts. You know, we all watch a lot of the local broadcasts. You know, I watch a, a, a lot of them and preparing for our games. And you sure see it a lot. You know, here are the odds. Who's going to score the first goal tonight for the Bruins? It's going to be Pasternak or this guy or that guy. So it's it's already there in a lot of places. What about you, Ray? Because like one of the things that I see obviously all the time in Toronto now, it, not necessarily the in-game guys yet, but the studio stuff and pregame, it is everywhere in terms of here's the odds in terms of who we think will have, you know, the first goal. Or if you want to bet on William Nylander scoring two goals or not tonight, here's the odds. How do you see that? Uh, I I think it's um, more a studio than a game thing. Um, I I think the the first goal odds, things like that become a crawl across the, across the screen on the bottom of the screen, like your ticker. Um, I don't really know that there's 
much value to, if we're doing our open and we're talking about Vegas's injuries and the Rangers looking for a little scoring and Sean says, well, Ray, our, you know, Joe Blow sponsor of, of the night has uh, first goal. Who do you think it is? Like, what's the value of that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just that you mention it and that I pick a guy and say, I think it's this guy for that reason. And I, I guess that could be, but it seems more like a studio thing than a game thing for, for me. I would agree. I hope it stays that way too. You know, I, I, it's not really something I have much interest in getting involved in. Then again, you know, they, these things are probably driving interest, right? I mean, if that's, the that's, game what the, is, that's what the league would tell you. Yeah. I mean, and probably in all these different sports, right? You, you'd be doing a, I think it's one of the reasons why the NFL has been so popular for so long, right? I mean, all these people who are in these fantasy leagues and uh, right. you know, office pools and uh, elimination pools and all these other things, you know, they're the game's 42 to 10, you might still have an interest. So I do think these prop bets and the over-unders and that sort of thing do help TV because it gives people a reason to continue to watch when maybe the game uh, isn't that competitive. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Last one for each of you. I'll start with Sean and then I'll finish with Ray. Um, Sean, one of the things that I I always find as sort of an outsider who writes about this stuff, uh, very impressive, is when somebody sort of navigates um, their career after losing a prominent gig and then moving on to other prominent gigs. You were on Monday Night Football, as everybody knows. Um, eventually, Monday Night, Monday, Monday Night Football, since you've done it, has changed multiple times now, not just once. <laughs> and, you know, in some cases, people, let's just be honest, they, they get mad, they get ticked off, they don't react to that well, maybe they leave the company. In your case, you have not only um, continued doing college football, you now lead a package. When it comes to the NHL, and you'll be doing the Stanley Cup Finals, and I wonder just for like for some introspection, like how'd you do that? Because other people may have been, you know, that may have been the end for them at ESPN, but you navigated a way to um, continue with some really good portfolio stuff. Well, it's a great question, and the first part of it would be I love college football, so you know the opportunity to go back and do uh, one of the best college football games every week in the, uh, in the country, work with a great team. You know, at the time it was Todd Blackledge, who I think is as fine an analyst as there is in any sport, uh, not just college football. Um, you know, I, I love college football. So, you know, a chance to do one of the playoff games, do the championship game on ESPN radio. Those things are a blast. And, you know, one of the reasons I appreciate ESPN is I like the variety. When people ask me, what is your favorite sport to do? I never have a good answer because what I really enjoy most about my career, my current situation, and what's been my situation for a long time is the variety. of it. When I grew up, I wanted to announce all the sports. I didn't just want to be a baseball announcer, a hockey announcer. So I have that opportunity at ESPN. And I do think you know that being a good company soldier, if that's the way to 
uh, phrase it, probably helped when the, the NHL came around. Because uh, I've seen other people who who do exactly what you said, Richard. They think they should have gotten a job. They didn't get it. They get mad. They yell at management, and then ooh, two years later, they're not here anymore. <laughs> you know. So, um, and I'm thrilled that I'm still here because I love hockey. I'm enjoying the heck out of doing the NHL. The chance to do the Stanley Cup final in particular is a dream come true. And it was two years ago when we did it. It will be again in a few months. I love working with Ray. Uh, he's a great guy and a great analyst and the rest of our crew. So, um, you know, I'm glad I stuck around. ESPN has been very good to me, you know, so I, I think sometimes loyalty needs to be returned, even when maybe not everything goes exactly as you wished it might have. So. I'm very blessed. I, I wake up every day and thank God that, you know, this is my life and I get to do what I wanted to do since I was five years old. Appreciate that answer, Sean. Uh, Ray, last one for you. Um, as someone who's uh, who grew up in the U.S. and now lives in Canada, uh, I, I've gotten such a great appreciation now how much love there is for Olympic hockey in two countries. And, uh, and I miss seeing the NHL players there. As we head forward to the next Olympic cycle, you know, I've heard what the NHL says. I've heard what the whatever it is the IAAHF has said. Um, do you think just fun? I don't. I don't. I don't. You've probably been asked this before, but not by me. But like, are you of the belief that like the NHL players should be in the Olympics, and this is such an important thing for the sport, or do you maybe side on um, maybe more of the NHL's sort of business side, where it's like we don't get anything out of this. We have to stop our season, and ultimately, it's not. Value, but I'm I'm a kind of an Olympics junkie, so I'd like to see them there. But I understand the other side as well. How do you see it? Well, I I'd love to see them at the Olympics. I think it's uh, you know I I was I broadcast part of the 2010 games in Vancouver. It was unlike anything that I'd done before. It was amazing. I did the 2018 ones in Pyeongchang when the NHL players weren't there. Um, I, I love the thought of the NHL players at the Olympics. I also know that. For the Olympics to expect the best players to go and for them to hoard everything that comes with it doesn't seem to be, it isn't a, a fair trade-off. The Olympics are changing. They're, they're changing as we speak, as we see them in every cycle. They're, they, you know, they've held video for years and years and years that can only be used in inside the, you know, with the, um, uh, uh, inside the Olympic uh, with their blessing. Um, I just don't see how the NHL is going to be on board with that going forward. Let's face it, the Olympics are a business. We love Olympics for the athletics. The Olympics are a business. The NHL is a business. And if your best players are providing the entertainment for one of the headline sports at the Winter Olympics and you get nothing out of it, from a business standpoint, how can you say, oh, there's growth of the game when you don't see any of it? So I I totally see the NHL side here. I totally want them to go to the Olympics. And you know what might be a, a big pressure point, Richard, is the you know, the the next winter Olympics are in Italy. They they haven't put a shovel in the ground on the rink yet. And so I know I know we like to do things last minute in Italy, but you know this might be pushing the thing a bit. And so they're, they're, they're discussing, you know, maybe having the Olympic hockey somewhere else. Well, that's not the Olympics; that's a World Cup. 
And so I, I think, I think that may, that convergence of events may push this into a better way forward. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's worth paying attention to in Cortina, Milan. Uh, Sean, as we're getting out here, I'm just more curious. You, you must have done an Olympics for CBS? N- Nagano, I did. Milan. I did three of them. I did uh, bobsled and luge okay. in 92 and 94. And then I did uh, hockey in Nagano in 98, which was a great one to do because it was the first year that the NHL guys played. And it was also the first year of uh, women's Olympic hockey. I know Ray Did you do the women's? Yes, I did. I know Ray does not know know much about any of the fine players on the women's team from back then. (laughs) Um, But it was a real thrill uh, for me, you know, knowing a lot of the the women on the team, Ben Smith and Tommy Much, who are the coaches, are both Boston guys who I knew very well from, you know, covering them when they were in college hockey uh, around New England. So, uh, that was really, really a thrill to uh, have a chance to do the hockey. But when people say, why did they put McDonough on this? He's never done hockey. I was like, don't you remember Nagano? I should remember this. Who, who, who won between U.S. and Canada in 98? Was that a U.S.? U.S. Gold? women won. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. I'm trying to remember that. That's right. Yes. Yes. The, uh, the, first, the, first, uh, the first women's gold medal ever presented is sitting in a drawer in our kitchen because Cammy won't let me put it up on the wall. For those who don't know, Ray's wife's Cammy Granada. Cammy Granada, yeah. Cammy gets the call, Cammy and has gone on to uh, be an NHL, uh, uh, in NHL management. That I will say, Sean and Ray, uh, you know, the U.S. won all this before uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin, the American killer, was born. So, oh, the, she's uh, an amazing player. She's, <laughs> she's amazing. So well, Just what so was good. really cool about it was even though it was the first year of women's hockey in the Olympics, the U.S.-Canada women's rivalry was already. That's right. I remember. That's right. It was a huge deal. And uh, very emotional, and it, it was a tremendous amount yeah. of fun. Well, all three of us obviously have some ties to that. I covered the game in Sochi, which is one of the greatest sporting events I ever saw. That's 3-2 overtime. You, you, there's a legit argument to make that's the best rivalry in sports in the world. The, the other, you know, you want to say Real Madrid, Barcelona, or, you know, come up with your other ones. They're all Celtic Rangers. They're all fine, but that's legit in the conversation. Like, it is, it is legit, and that's anytime they play. Um, and we usually get all those games up here in Canada. It's unbelievable. It's still great theater every single time they play, which is cool. Yes, it is. Ray Ferraro and Sean McDonough, along with uh, Emily Kaplan and obviously others uh, who do ESPN Studio. All right, they will, of course, be on the call for this Saturday's NHL All-Star Game at 3 p.m. on ABC. Well, and then as I mentioned, you'll obviously be able to see these guys during the regular season as well as the Stanley Cup. You'll catch Ray on Canucks games if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan. And then obviously you catch Sean uh, once this is all over doing the Red Sox games, or where I do hope they um, do not overtake the Toronto Blue Jays, given both teams really need some bats. It's going to be a surprising year for the, the both I know. I, like, I hate to say it. I kind of I, I think people are sleeping on the Red Sox. I'm with you, Sean. You know, I, I Ray and I will have to chat off air to see if the Blue Jays can, can get some bats because we didn't show high. It's running out of time. Where are you going to find them now? Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Dundas Square somewhere. Um, all right. Yes. Uh, Sean and Ray, thank you very much. Have a great call as you guys are in New York doing this and uh, have a great All-Star game. Thanks so much for uh, 
coming on today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it, Richard. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Ray Ferraro and Sean McDonough for their time and their insights. That was a lot of fun and interesting. If you like these podcasts, leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how they continue. Last couple ones, uh, we had the athletic Chantel Jennings on women's basketball. Uh, If you're a women's basketball fan, check that out. She's a national writer for The Athletic. Alex Sherman and Chad Finn on uh, Netflix, uh, TKO, and the Monday Night Raw deal, as well as NFL viewership and Sports Illustrated. Paul Feinbaum was a guest on this podcast not too long ago. Laura Rutledge, Hubie Brown, Richie Zients, and Rich Russo, the uh, producer and director of Fox's uh, top NFL game. Jim, James Andrew Miller is on talking about Pat McAfee. So a lot of stuff there uh, to catch up on the archives if you have not. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.